So we are in week two of our sermon series, I'm Sorry, What? And I have to begin by saying you should be very careful when you offer to help. Um, So several weeks ago, I was in uh, Chris's office and Stephanie, the three of us were talking about preaching schedules uh, because we like to give Chris and both Stephanie and Modern Worship a break every now and then because if you didn't know, preparing a sermon is a lot of work. Um, it takes up a lot of time. There's just hours and hours that go into it. And so me, being the fool that I am, I guess, <laughs> was like, Stephanie, um, yeah, just put me in wherever I'd love to fill in, not realizing that she would put me in this series, uh, which is difficult passages, basically. Uh, we did a sermon series similar to this at Lover's Lane, and somehow I got out of preaching all of them. It was amazing. Uh, but somehow, I, I should have specified to Stephanie, I'll help you out any week except these three. Um, but it worked out that I already had a sermon written, so it was great. It was easy for me to, to jump in and fill in for Chris. But I need to tell you, it is a hard scripture so much as because when I first found out that I was preaching this, I texted a bunch of my clergy friends to say, hey, have any of you by curiosity, preached on this passage before? (laughs) And most of the responses were, what'd you do? (laughs) No, no, I haven't. How did you draw the short straw? Um, But, you know, I actually really enjoyed journeying with this text and coming out on the other side, uh, knowing a little bit about God and and a little bit more about God. And I don't know, it it was a really good discipline for me. So although it's a doozy, which is my favorite word to use uh, with scripture, um, I'm excited to share it with you. So without further ado, let's look at today's passage, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. When the company of prophets who were at Jericho saw him at a distance, they declared, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. They came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. They said to him, See now, we have 50 strong men among your servants. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the spirit of the Lord has caught him up and thrown him down on some mountain or into some valley. He responded, no, do not send them. But when they urged him until he was ashamed, he said, send them. So they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they came back to him, he had remained at Jericho. He said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? So, so far, so it's good, right? I I can track with this. Buckle up, what's coming up next? Now the people of this city said to Elisha, the location of this city is good, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. He said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw the salt into it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have made this water wholesome. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been wholesome to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. 
He went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go away, bald head. Go away, bald head. When he turned around and saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two she-bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. From there he went on to Mount Carmel and then returned to Samaria. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Not a lot of confidence with that. So, uh, so yeah, that's the story today. <laughs> so I was thinking, okay, what, are, what is your response to this? And I, I, I figured out a few responses depending on who you are. So let's take a look at what we have. Okay, if you're a teenage boy, you're like, yeah, bears, this is exciting, right? If you're a child, wait, what? <laughs> if you're a parent, those poor innocent children. See, this is why we shouldn't tease bald men, my husband. <laughs> so when he was a children's director, he loved telling this story. And I was like, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> um, great anti-bullying campaign from teachers. And then, of course, pastors. How am I supposed to preach on this? So I am just as interested as you are to see how we land this plane today. So I thought what would be helpful is to look at First and Second Kings, the larger story. So while they are two separate books, they're meant as one long story. It's coming out of the continuation of Second Samuel. The two major players that kick off First Kings are David and Solomon, which are most likely names that may be familiar to you. As I did a lot of exegetical work, there was a lot of names that I did not recognize, a lot of kings, a lot of prophets. But David and Solomon, I was like, okay, I know who those guys are. So David was, uh, for the most part, a really great king. We know that he definitely had some flaws, did some things that were not so good, but for the most part, was a great king. And God promised that a messianic king would come from his line, that this king, this king that would come someday, would establish God's kingdom over the nations and fulfill the promise given to Abraham so long ago. So David had done great work. He had unified tribes and, and established stability and, and unity. And his son Solomon followed him and does a pretty good job as well. Again, has a few flaws, but for the most part, does a good job. But it's all the kings that come after this that really make a big mess of things. Israel gets split into a northern kingdom called Israel, and southern becomes Judah. Jerusalem is in Judah, and the capital of Israel will eventually be Samaria. And there's this king, Jeroboam, that wants to compete with Jerusalem. He doesn't want people going to that temple. So he builds two temples, Dan and Bethel, complete with golden calves, just like God always wanted. And, and then on top of that, kings are... are plotting against leaders, there's murdering, there's, there's, uh, they're doing, you know, coups, they're forgetting God, there's slave labor, there's even a king that has, introduces uh, child sacrifice, I mean, everything is a mess. Enter prophets. Now, the one I want to focus on at first will be Elijah now, uh, but first, in case you don't know the role of prophet, 
I liked what the source, the Bible Project said. If you don't know the Bible Project, it's a great resource. There's uh, videos, there's podcasts. They have a lot of information often in like a short amount of time, but they pack a lot of information and so you can sound super smart after you watch a YouTube video. But I loved what they say about what a prophet is. They speak on God's behalf. They're covenant watchdogs. They call out idolatry and, and injustice, and they challenge the people to repent and follow God. So Elijah may be one of the most uplifted prophets, one of the ones that you may recall, or when you think of a prophet, you think Elijah. If you were with us during Advent, you may remember how John the Baptist was kind of referred to as maybe a new Elijah or taking on the spirit of Elijah, which was a massive compliment and a little bit of pressure. One of Elijah's most famous acts was uh, when he challenged 450 prophets in Baal to, to bring fire out of the sky. And he, he, there was this big altar and he built, you know, they built it and, they, and then he drenched it with water. And then the fire comes out and licks up everything, even the water off, to prove that his God was the one true God. So Elijah had great power. He did miraculous things. But people still rejected that message. They still kept going on about their business. They did not listen. And then we have Elisha, who follows Elijah, which can I just say is very confusing. Like, could Elisha be named Jim or like Mark or something? It's very confusing. But Elijah and Elisha had this kind of Moses-Joshua relationship, and, and Elijah, we know, is taken up and then hands things to Elisha. Now, Elisha does a great deal as well. He asked for kind of a double portion or abilities to do more. So he does even more than Elijah, proving time and time again that this Yahweh, this God, because he's competing a lot with idols everywhere, he does a lot, but people still don't listen. People still reject so Elijah, who has the spirit of Elijah on him, who has this power, is just trying to help end injustice and slavery and idolatry, is ignored and ridiculed. But it's God they're rejecting. Yes, they're not so nice to prophets. We read about that. But the people were saying no to this God. but Reagan, it's the bears. <laughs> That's great history. I love knowing a little bit about First and Second Kings, but can we get back to the part where the bears maul the children? That's what I don't know what to do with. That's what I came here for. And so I thought about this for a long, long time. I went all over the internet. I looked at many commentaries, again, sent another bat signal out to my clergy friends, which mainly replied with memes and funny pictures and video clips that were not at all helpful. And I just sat with this and I said, how do I make sense of this story? What is the message? Well, first of all, I wanna clear up that the translation is not so great and that it probably wasn't actually 42 young or small boys. It was men from the temple that were advocating for idol worship, okay? 
So it may, might make it slightly better that it's 42 men. Probably not, it's still humankind, so <laughs> I tried. But here's the thing, I don't think God, through Elisha, made bears come out and attack these men. I just, I don't buy it. It doesn't jive uh, with me. It doesn't really go along with what I believe who God is. And, and I can think that because I go through other scripture and I lay it together and I think, oh, which one's not like the other? <laughs> and I use my reason and my experience and, and all of that and I look and, and I come to that conclusion. If you have not listened to last week's message, both Chris and Stephanie did a fantastic job of laying out how, the me- how Methodists um, read the Bible, and they gave you great tools um, and insight to how you can read difficult stories like this. And so I thought, okay, I just, I don't, I don't buy it. However, I hit this other roadblock when I was thinking about this story. I believe that our God is a God of justice, which is kind of a scary word sometimes. And so you think, wait, so God's way of justice is killing? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I do know that God will not stand for hate or an injustice. That's quite clear through the Bible. But what's also very clear is that God won't use violence to achieve God's will. I just, I don't see it. What I do see and know from Scripture is that God sent prophets to help repair what was broken. And there were a great deal of prophets that came after Elisha because God would not give up on us. God kept moving toward us. God kept coming for us. And it made me think about how we can grow lazy at times about taking to heart what God is speaking to us or even reject God's message. And that maybe we should look more at the bigger, more applicable, timeless lessons about that tells who God is. Rather than get caught up with stories about bears, we look at the full story and we realize who God is. First and second Kings is is such a mess and we've got these prophets that are trying their best to restore this covenant, this relationship between people and God. But eventually this mess would lead to the exile the Babylon exile, one of the darkest and hardest parts of our salvation history. But we know that the story does not end there. In fact, I want to read the very end of 2 Kings, most likely a part that, well, most of us probably never even get to, but I think it's really important. So this is 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 27 through 30. In the 37th year of the exile of King Jehoiakim of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, King Evomorodach of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, released King Jehoiakim of Judah from prison. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the other seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put aside his prison clothes Every day of his life, he dined regularly in the king's presence. For his allowance, a regular allowance, was given him by the king, a portion every day, as long as he lived. Amen. Why do I read this? 
King Jehoiakim was in the line of David. He should have been ruling, but his people were in exile. But yet he's invited to this table, a table where he doesn't belong. And it's this look at, or this uh, prophecy, kind of this invitation of what will be, that someone in David's line will rule, that God did not forget the promise, that God does not forget us. It's this invitation of love and grace and care, and many of us miss this last part in Second Kings because we stop with the bears. This little postscript, this ending of Second Kings reminds me of what I know and what I believe about God. One that invites us to a table to be in relationship. One that is full of grace. One that gives us second chances. One that doesn't forgive us. Not one that mauls us with bears when we don't listen. I'm not sure if I helped you with the story today. I hope I did. Maybe a little bit. What I pray is obvious that there is more to what is just written in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. That there's so much that surrounds that story that comes before that, that you need to interpret that there's deeper meaning, there's so much that comes after it. The most important thing, the most important thing is that our story does not end in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. I mean, what a downer if it did. So I give thanks to God for continuing to come to us, to speak to us, to forgive us, to send us prophet after prophet, eventually Jesus, to show how much God loves us. There's more to the story. You just have to keep reading. Amen.